It is great to have you here. Um, most of you may know, my name is Nelson Jenkins. I'm the um, youth pastor here at Hope. And we got a lot of people missing. We have the women's retreat CRW this weekend. So um, I hear great things already um, going on there. But it is great to have you here. I almost want to kind of ask everyone to just kind of move up 40 rows. so that. But we, if you, you look comfortable, so we'll leave you there. So um, as you know, if, when I'm preaching, I usually have to have some kind of visual so that you don't have to look at me the whole time. And um, so we've got a rope here. And the reason that we have this rope is because in our lives, all of us at one point or another, or maybe even now, are dealing with an issue that we can't solve ourselves. We're in a tug of war. And on the other end of this rope is sin. And we're trying to fight this. And we think that in order to, get made, to be made right with God, all I have to do is just fight hard enough and try hard enough, and then I can win this battle, and then God will be pleased with me. Well, the problem is that will never happen. We can't do anything ourselves to win this battle against sin. Because the fact that we're all sinners, we're all born sinners, starting back with Adam and Eve. And so because of that, we're fighting this battle that's a losing battle. There's nothing we can do. So God says, the only way to win this battle is to give me the rope. That's what God is telling us. He says, if you want to be made right with me, he says, you've got to give me the rope and allow me to do the fighting. And, and, and it's, the picture that you have here is you've got, uh, my, my daughter came up here and she was fighting and she was fighting, you know, wrestling against a, a bigger kid back there. And we're going and, and she's getting yanked all over the place and I say I come up and I say here give me the rope and she goes no I got this as she's bouncing all over the, the, the stage and I said just give me the rope and she just says I don't I don't want I want to do it and I'm watching her go all the place and then finally she says okay dad you can you can help and I'm like you know what you're just going to get in the way and you're going to make it harder so just drop it give it to me and let me take that and that's what God is saying God is saying when you try to be made right in God's eyes on your own that's basically like saying, God, I'll give you part of the rope, but I'm going to hold on to part of it. And God's saying it doesn't work that way. You've got to give it to me. You've got to allow me to do the work. Because the work is the cross. Christ died on the cross because he knew that we were sinners and that we, we can't be in God's presence because of that sin. But God sent his son. He took that rope and he, and he sent his son to die on the cross. So that we, we can stand before God and say, God, I'm made right in your eyes because of what Jesus did. Not because of anything I've done. And that's what we want to kind of look at. We're going to be looking at John 6. And we're going to be looking at feeding of the 5,000. I wanted to start out today by kind of having a, just a package of M&Ms and start handing them out, you know, and, and, you know, and see how far they got. But then I said, that would just be cruel. So I just ate it myself. So, um, but it's the whole idea of we, a lot of us know the story of the, of the feeding of the 5,000. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go t- to the end of chapter 6 and then come back. Because we've we got to understand the context here. Feeding the 5,000 is basically Jesus taking, um, what, five loaves and two fish. And, he, and he's feeding. Understand, when he says feeding the 5,000, he's feeding about fifteen to 20,000. Because in the Bible, when you, when you hear... This, he's talking about 5,000 men, not talking about the children and the women that are there as well. So there's probably between 15 and 20,000 people, and we're going to get into it in a second. But what we want to understand is what is Jesus talking about when he talks about, why, why is he sharing 
this about feeding, giving people bread to eat. So we're going to be looking at John 6, starting John 6, verse 35. We're going to look at this, and and this is toward the the end of the, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, but this is what Jesus says. He says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Then this is the will of, of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. And so here's, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that, that he said, I am the bread of life. And he talks about the fact that he's, he's not here just to feed our physical, to meet our physical needs and our physical hunger. Jesus came to meet our, our spiritual hunger. Because all of us here, whether we know it or not, are starving spiritually. We're struggling on this end of this rope, fighting against something that we can't win. And until we get to the point of understanding that Jesus came to win that battle for us, we're going to continue to fight a battle that we can't win. We can't be made right in God's eyes by trying to do it ourselves. We've got to give that over to God. So when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, this is the, the only miracle other than, other than Jesus rising from the dead. The only miracle that Jesus performed that's in all four Gospels. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only one that's, that's in all um, four Gospels. So we look at them and we say there's, there's something important there that, that the authors want us to, to hear. And so we look at this and, and we see that um, it's going to be in page 814 in your, the chair Bible. And it's going to be John 6, verses 1 through 13. I want us to, to just look at these verses here. So Jesus, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Because fairways closed on Sundays. So that's um, original Hebrew. You probably don't have that in your Bible. So. so it says he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they, they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus took his disciples... Now gather the, the leftovers so, they, so that nothing is wasted. 
So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So we, we look at this and we see that Jesus and his disciples are tired. Jesus has been working miracles. He's, he's been healing people. And people have been watching this and they've been seeing this and they, they're amazed by what they see. And so they follow him. They're following Jesus, not because they say, boy, this is the Messiah. This is God. They're following him because they're like, what's the next cool magic trick he's going to do? That's the way they're looking at it. They're like, who's he going to heal next? Or, or I've got somebody that needs to be healed. Or maybe I need to be healed. So they're not following him because they want to know more about who he is. They just want to see the cool things that he's going to do. So this mass of people are following Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples are tired. They get on a boat. They go across the lake. And all these people see him. And they say, quick, let's go. And they run. And they get to the other side. So you've got you to remember, Jesus is God, but he's also human. And so he gets tired. And so he, he looks at these people. And he says, get away from me. I need a nap. No, he doesn't say that. He looks at it and he has mercy. He says he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so he goes to his disciples. And that's the interesting thing as you, you look at this. He, he goes to his disciples and, and he goes to Philip. And he says, where are we going to get the food? Where are we going to get the, the food to, to feed these people? Now, you can imagine Philip going, why are you asking me? I mean, there's about fifteen to 20,000 people here, and we've got nothing. There's no food here. Some people have, have kind of tried to come up with, for whatever reason, people try to sit there and try to dismiss miracles of Jesus. So some people said what happened was all these people had food. And when they saw this boy willing to give up his lunch... They were all amazed at what they saw, and so they all brought out their food, and they ate, and that was the miracle. So the miracle was that people were actually, like, you know, sharing. So that's one of the, 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 the ways that people try to sit there and explain this miracle. The other one is, is that the disciples knew ahead of time this was going to happen. So the, Jesus and the disciples went, and they hid all this food in the cave near where they were at. And when this all happened, they just ran in the cave, and they brought out this food, and they started feeding people. No, I mean, it's weird what people will do to sit there and try to explain away what God can do. But they don't want, for whatever reason, to sit there and say, yeah, Jesus could do this. But the crazy thing is you've got about fifteen to 20,000 people that are witnesses to what happened there. And they all saw the same thing. They saw Jesus take these five loaves. And understand, these aren't loaves like you go to Jimmy John's Subway and you get a loaf of bread. These are basically crackers. And so when you look at it, it says barley loaves in, in John. And so there's this small little crackers. So he had five little crackers and two fish. And so Andrew comes up and he says, uh, hey, we've got, we've got um, a boy that's got five fish. I mean, five loaves and, and two fish. But what, what are we going to do with that? And so here's Philip is looking at it and he's saying eight months salary wouldn't cover what we need to feed these people. If we had eight months' salary and we were to, to go and buy the food, that wouldn't even be enough to give everybody a bite to eat. And so he's looking at it and he's saying, we don't have the money for this. And then Andrew comes up and says, we've got these five loaves and two fish, but that's not going to be enough you know, to feed these people. 
So they were looking at it and they said, there's not enough money and there's not enough food for the people. I can relate to this because when we travel, I don't know about you, but I love to travel with the family, with my family. And we'll go out and our tradition is that we'll always stop at some place, a restaurant that has a dollar menu. And they have to have a dollar menu or we're just not going to stop there. I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. And so, so we look at it and we say, okay, McDonald's, Wendy's, we look at that. And we go up. And the question that kids always ask now is, how much do we get? How much do we get? And we've always been, you get $2. Family of six, I walk out of there feeding my entire family for about $14. You want to talk about miracles? There's one right there. But the kids are always come up. How much do we get? We get $2. One day, we're, we're going, and I was just like, I felt like I hit the lottery. And the kids were like, what do I get? And I said, you know what? You get three bucks. You should have seen them. They were going nuts. What? What is wrong with Dad? And, of course, you got, you got you know, this lady behind us going, what is wrong with that, Dad? You know, like the kids are excited about $3. But it's the whole idea that you, you look at me and you say, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. And a lot of times the kids kind of feel like that because as they get back in the car and keep going again, you know, it's like they're, they're trying to find crackers and like that to kind of snack on. But here are the disciples and they're sitting there going, we don't have enough. We don't have enough um, money or food to feed these people. And so in the same way, we've got struggles in our life. We've got things that seem impossible in our lives that are on the other end of this rope. It starts by understanding the impossible thing is we can't save ourselves. We can't be made right in God's eyes by ourselves. But even when we come to the point of understanding that and accepting that, we still have things on the other end of the rope that we struggle with. It can be we're, we're struggling with sickness, with cancer, struggling with death of a loved one. We're, we're struggling with the fear of the future. We look and we say, fear of who's going to be our next president. All right, anyone? It's like it doesn't matter who it is. I think we're all afraid. So, but it's just the, the idea that we're always afraid of what, what's out there. What are the things that we don't know? And, and we look at it and we say, those, some of those things seem impossible. I don't know. I might be losing my job. And I don't know what the future holds. It looks like an impossible situation. And in those times, God's saying, give me the rope. Trust in me. Let me take care of this. And he's not saying, allow me to share this. He's saying, give it to me. Put it on me. Allow me to take care of it. And trust me that I, cut, I have this under control. Because whether we believe it or not, he does. Nothing that happens in your life, nothing that happens in my life, surprises God. When, my, when I found out that my mother had cancer, it wasn't like God said, Oh, man, I didn't know that. And, you know, all these things that, that happen, we look at it and we say, God isn't surprised by it. It doesn't catch God off guard. But he's saying, you're trying to fight this. And God says, I want to do it for you. He says, give me the rope when it seems impossible. When life hands you impossible situations, he says, give it over to God. So let's look at some things that we can get out of this parable of the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. The first thing is when we come on hard times in our lives, we need to give the rope to God. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 
So whatever we think, we say God can do this. The Bible says he can do infinitely more than that. More than we can possibly think. God says, I can do far greater than that if you'll allow me. And that's the God that we look at. And again, we have this, the, the, the picture of the child and the father. And the child's getting thrown around. And the father says, give me the rope. And that's the picture that God has as he looks down and he sees us. And he sees us getting thrown around by these impossible situations. And God's asking, will you give me the rope? Will you give it to me and allow me to handle it? Because he says, I can. And we think of impossible situations. We got big ones and we got small ones. I had an impossible situation this week. It seems like every time I go to preach, God gives me a great example around my house that I can use. And uh, I'm cleaning out the pantry. My wife had a busy week and I said, you know what? I am going to make her life, you know, so awesome. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to clean out our pantry. Any food that's outdated, we're just going to throw it out. And you should have seen, seriously, the trash can. I, I, I wanted to watch it as he was trying to dump it into the thing because I thought for sure it was going to bend over. Cans of food and stuff like that that have expired and out, outdated. Just threw it away. And, you know, big old trash bag. Well, I had a couple boxes of rice. Rice, not rice. Um, spaghetti noodles. Rice would have been all right. But so spaghetti, two, two boxes of spaghetti noodles. And I'm thinking, I don't want to just throw this in the trash. I have a garbage disposal. And so what I do is I don't break it up and then throw it down the garbage disposal. I, I take stalks of the spaghetti. I turn the garbage disposal on and I throw it down. And it was like spears shooting all over the, you know, the kitchen. I'm like ducking, like, watch out, here it comes. And so... It, it starts going down, and all of a sudden, as the water's running, the water starts to rise in the sink. And so I stopped it, and I was like, what is, what's wrong with this thing? This garbage disposal is not working. And so this is being taped. So uh, everything worked out fine. So, so tomorrow I'll come back, and when my wife doesn't get to watch this, I'll tell you what. No. So, so I'm looking at going, okay, it's a, the sink's a mess. It's... It's rising on its own. The water's off, and it keeps rising. It's like some kind of possessed sink or something. And I'm looking at this going, this is not going to end well. It isn't going to end well. And I should have said that in the beginning. Whenever I try to do something around the house, it never ends well. But I didn't listen to myself. So I decided, okay, wait a minute. I know we have some Drano in the, in the bathroom. So I went out, and my, this is the part my wife doesn't know about. Love you. So, um, so I take the Drano, I read the instructions, which is right there. It's another miracle. And, okay, I know what to do. So I pour it in the kitchen sink. I make sure, I'm not dumb, I make sure everything's away, so the dishes, so, you know, because I know that, you know, we wouldn't die from germs, because I think Drano would kill germs, but we'd probably die if we actually had that on our food. So, so I put it in there, and it says, wait 10 minutes. So I was just watching nothing absolutely nothing so i said all right this is ridiculous so i go out and i get the plunger so basically i took everything that was in the bathroom and i brought it into the kitchen and so i get this plunger and i'm just plunging this thing sitting there being trying to be careful because i don't want drano shooting all over the kitchen and nothing's happened and then i go and i get this little snake thing you ever seen those things where you can go in and pull hair out of a um a thing and so i get down below the sink brace yourself 
And I have to take the garbage disposal apart. All right, Lord, help us all right there because it's plumbing and electricity co- combined. And it's, it's never a good thing with me. And so I take this thing apart. And at the end of the garbage disposal, the pipe that you know, goes through is pretty good-sized pipe. end of the garbage disposal is a tiny little hole. And all of a sudden I look up, and that's where all the spaghetti ended up. was stuck, and it was like, like concrete in this thing. And that's the reason the water wasn't going through. So I took this thing, and I'm trying to throw that thing up there to, to break it up as I'm plunging and going through this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, the water starts going out. And I was just like, thank you, God. And so I put it back together, and realizing that there's no possible way I put it together right. And so this morning I looked at it and I had a bucket under there. And sure enough, every time we use the sink, there's water dripping into this bucket. So eventually we'll get a plumber in there. To, but we look at like impossible things. At that point, that was an impossible situation for me. And I said, there's no way. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get this thing fixed, especially by the time my wife gets home. Well, I did. And like I said, to this day, I, I don't think she totally understands what a disaster that really was. So, but we look at it and we say... Dumb things like that, but also the bigger things in our lives. God says, I got this under control. You've got to trust me with this. And so then when we look at, um, let me see, what, what's the next point we're on here? As I look at my lovely notes here. So um, we look at, the next thing is that when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, and we look at the disciples, God uses his disciples to help in this, in this as far as you're going you're gonna to help distribute this food. So God uses unqualified people with inadequate resources to do incredible things when they surrender to him. God uses unqualified people with inadequate resources to do great things, incredible things, when they surrender to him. So we, we look at Jesus and the disciples. This is one of the things where when Jesus picked his, his disciples, they either lied on their resume or Jesus didn't call their former employees, employers, to find out what they're going to be like. Because these guys were knuckleheads. I mean, as Jesus was going around, he picked, literally, he picked knuckleheads to follow him. But we look at that and he said, he picked people that he knew would follow after him. Even though they, they kept messing up as far as their faith. So here's Mark chapter 8. Mark eight fourteen to 21. This, and again, this won't be on the screen, but uh, Mark eight fourteen to 21. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. So the disciples are back in the boat. And they're getting ready to go out again. And it says, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and, and of Herod. So Jesus is, is talking and he says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And he's talking about, you know, yeast is something you use in bread. But what he's talking about is beware basically of the deception, of the evil that comes from the Pharisees and from, the, from Herod. Because they're going to be trying to trap you. They're, they're trying their best they can to trap Jesus. So he tells the disciples, Beware. Of the yeast. And so here are the disciples. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing 
about not having any bread, any bread. Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. So here's Jesus. And understand that after the feeding of the 5,000, we have that story. Not much longer. Jesus is in with a crowd of 4,000 men again, plus women and children. And he does the same thing. He has, he has a couple more pieces of, of bread, but he feeds probably twelve to 15,000 people again with just this small amount of food. And so we look at it and we say, feeding the 5,000. Understand, he really did that twice. And here are the disciples. Now they're in a boat. And it says they only had one loaf. Some commentators say that it wasn't talking about a loaf of bread. It was actually talking about Jesus being the bread and the provider of bread. But either way, they look at it and they've just seen all this that, ha- that Jesus has said. And they're sitting there and they're going, oh, he's mad because we've got the bread. How are we going to eat? These are the disciples. These are the people that God is using to do great things. When Jesus leaves the earth, this is who he's putting in charge. And you've got to sit there and he, he's got to sit there and shake his head and said, oh, thank God that he's in control of this. Because I don't know what's going to happen with these guys. But he uses unqualified people with inadequate resources to do incredible things if we trust him and, and surrender our lives to him. And that's what we're looking at here is, is that he wants to do that with us. Anyone in here, myself included, is unqualified to do anything for God. There's nothing we can go to God and say, here's my resume. You know what? I would be a great asset to you. We go and say, God, my only asset is I surrender myself to you. I give you the rope. Do what you want to do. And that's when God can do great things. So then the next thing is, God is in control of every situation, even when that situation seems impossible. Even when, again, it seems like it's impossible. Luke 18, 27, he replied, What is impossible for people is possible for God. What is impossible for people is possible with God. So when we look at a situation, big, small, whatever it is, we say it's impossible. God says, it's not it's not impossible for me. Anything's possible. And then Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So again, more than we can imagine, God says, I can do so much more. Then we look at those impossible situations. And as we start to wrap up here, another one of those we, we think about those one of those small impossible situations that I've been dealing with for six years now is that we got a nice covered deck on our, our back, you know, back uh, of the house there. And it's great. And I go out there and I just want to sit and just kind of relax. Unfortunately, we've got about six trillion little stupid little birds that decide that they want to nest all around on the roof up there in that thing. And so I could be sitting there and these birds could be like, hey, this is a good time to poop. And it's just, but I go out there, there's just today, there was like grass and hay and everything laid out on the deck. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to clean this all up. And, and two days later, I'm going to be doing it all again. I can't even enjoy the deck. 
And I'm looking at going, I don't know what to do with this thing. It's just nuts. Someone said, well, you take those rubber snakes and you put them out and that'll scare them and they'll, they'll take off. All right, so I went to buy some rubber snakes. I guess they weren't quality rubber snakes. Because I look up, and I'm not kidding. I look up and I see those rubber snakes hanging. They used them for nesting in my stupid roof there. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I decided, you know what I was going to do? I'm going to snuff them out by taking these air fresheners, these car air fresheners, and I'm going to stick them up there, and that'll just the smell will get so bad. They just said, thank you for making our place look, you know, smell nicer. And, and so I'll, I'm, I'm basically giving them material to make nests out of. And so I, I went out to today, and I saw three or four of those air fresheners thrown down f- from last year. I think what they're telling me was, you know, I need, they need new ones because they don't smell anymore. But I'm looking at this going, this is, and that's one of those impossible situations where it's like, this is crazy. I'm never going to get rid of these things. The only way to get rid of them is to get rid of my, my entire deck and my roof. And it's all because these little birds, you know, that just are driving me nuts. They drive me insane. And again, again, those are small things, but it's one of those things where I'm sitting there going, God, you've got to do something with these guys because they're going to drive me crazy. There are things in our life that drive us crazy. There are things in our lives that make it to where we lose sleep at night. Think for a second. What is it that causes you to wake up in the middle of the night and start to worry because you don't have control over a situation? Whether it's physical, it's health of you or or a loved one, financial, whatever the case is, if it's related to your job, there's something that most of us sit there and we worry about and that's where god says it may seem impossible to you but if you'll give me the rope watch me do my work but he wants us to give it over to him he wants he wants to do the impossible in our lives and then it says the next thing is is um god's resources are unlimited psalm 50 verse 10 says for all the animals of the forest are mine and i own the cattle on a thousand hills. And so Jesus says, I have all this. All this is mine. You just have to trust me that, that I have all these resources. He's got unlimited resources. He's got more money than Donald Trump. He does. He does. It's a proven fact. But he's not running for president. But it's just, we, we look at this and God says, everything you see is mine. And this is what I was telling the teens. We're kind of going through a, a series on, on habits in our life. And one of the things is, is, how do we look at money? If we look at money we have as God lending it to us and saying, here, I want to give this to you to use. If we look at it that way, what happens when God says, Can, I would like 10% of that. You keep 90%, just give me 10%. If we look at it as God gave this to us, we don't see tithing as something that's evil. But if we look, if we look at it as, I did this on my own, I earned this, I worked hard, this is all mine. How dare God ask me for 10% of that? Then it's going to be hard. Our whole mindset, has to, we have to understand that everything we have is from God. God owns everything. And so if we look at a situation... We can go to the God of the universe and say, God, I need your help. And he's going to say, I've got all the resources you need. 
We've got to be able to trust him that that's true. And the last thing here is we, can, we wrap it up by where we started. God cares more about our physical. I mean, God cares about our physical, but more importantly, our spiritual needs. He cares about our physical needs. He cared about the physical needs of the people on that hill. As you had thousands upon thousands of people, and they were hungry. And Jesus said, I want to take care of that, that hunger that they have. And he had the ultimate buffet. Because they said nobody went away hungry. They ate until they were full. He, want, he cared about that. He saw that need. But then as you go on to the end of the chapter, we get back to chapter, um, to chapter 6, verses 35 to 40, where we started. And it says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you come to God, if you truly give your life to God, if you take that rope and you say, God, I'm trying to fight this battle against sin, and I'm losing. I'm getting thrown all over the place because I'm trying to be made right with God by trying to do it myself. And I'm hungry, and I'm starving. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Not for your physical needs, but for your spiritual needs. That hunger, that starvation that we all have deep down in our hearts. If we were honest, we all sit there and say, there's something missing in my life. I'm hungry for something more. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm what you're hungry for. Give your life to me. Because I'm the bread of life. The life that lasts forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for... For loving us. Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. And that as we think about how much you love us and what you you gave up to make us right in God's eyes, it was nothing, Lord, that we did. It was only when we gave that rope over to you. Because, Lord, we know, if we're honest, that when we try to fight sin on our, on our own, we lose. There are many in this room, myself included, that we know that we battle against what we know we should do and, what, and we do what we shouldn't do. That's, that's what Paul tells us too in the, in the New Testament. And it's because we keep trying to do it ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to, to give that rope over to you and that you'll just do great things in our lives. Lord, as we surrender to you, because we know that we're inadequate. We're unqualified, Lord, and we don't have the resources to do what you want us to do. We love you and, and we, just, we just praise you for, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.